Hi there. Welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald, a PhD trauma researcher, author, and life coach. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. Each week, we read your letters and give you information and advice about how to understand and demystify your experiences and symptoms so that you can heal without shame. So pull up a chair, grab a coffee, and join us. So we're back. We have had a couple months off and we are back with season two of the Trauma Tapes. Hi, Lisa. Hi. It's good to be back. It is. Did I you missed miss this. It? I did. I did. It's fun. It was, it was, um, I missed like not be connecting with you, like on a, having an appointment to connect with you <laughs> on a weekly you know? basis like, and talk about deep yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Me too. So it's nice to be back. Also the tiny little joy practice. When I get out of that, I, I get out of it, you know, and I miss yeah. it. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, so we'll go back to that. Um, okay. So we're just doing an intro episode this time. We don't have a letter yet, um, or we have letters, but we're not going to do one this week. Um, but the topic that we wanted to focus on this season is shame. Dun, dun, dun. That's a big one. That is <laughs> a big, big one. one. What, when I say that word, what comes up for you? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Just like free associate. Uh, the, the, well, the first thing, cause I've been thinking about it lately, not, not because of this, just because I'm, I'm kind of more aware of it and noticing mm-hmm. it is the different layers of shame. Mm. Oh, what do you mean? And I don't want to, well, like, I don't want to do the big T, little T, you know, big S, mm-hmm. little S shame, but like, <laughs> I, I just said it, I just put it out there, but I'm amazed at, um, how pervasive it is, you know, mm-hmm. not just with the big things that you think that you should feel shameful about, but with even little things that yeah, like bubble up and you're like, wow, what's that feeling? Oh, I, I feel shame. And uh, mm-hmm. wow, that's kind of strange that that's coming up here. So yeah, like a, like a little example. I always use this example when I'm teaching <clears throat> just about the way that trauma works and what it, what it means to have a relational home. When you like tell a joke in a group setting, and it fails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> we're both making this cringe face because it's like in the moment you might feel like, you know, you might blush. You might feel like a little bit of like, ooh, that was the wrong, you know, story for this audience or whatever. But later at night, this is what happens. You're questioning your identity. Yeah. 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 You want to disappear. Feel lousy. Yeah. 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 And, and that's, I think, and I like big ass, little ass, shame like that because I think, okay. well, cause what I was thinking about this morning was the way that shame is so sneaky yeah and it can hide and it can pop up as you said, in these unexpected places where, you know, you feel like, okay, I know rationally that I didn't do something like heinously wrong, exactly. but I can't shake this like really like all encompassing feeling of like self hatred. Right. Or even when like the the stuff that comes up for me lately is like, even when you do something right and there's yeah, still yeah. like a part of it that's like, yeah. feels cringy and feels like, like, an, uh, like I'll get, I have two examples and um, oh, good. this is kind of like, uh, you know, what I've been thinking about with Shane, but I'll give you one with our brother who has a, um, has his own business um, mm. and he, um, 
there was someone that he was working with that was, you know, pretty actively cheating him, like, you know, Mm. going behind his back and stealing business and blah, 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 blah. Oh God, gross. Yeah. It was crummy. It was a lousy thing. And he, um, our our brother like addressed it and got out of the situation and and gracefully, I believe, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he was like retelling the story and he did the right thing. He walked away, he cut ties. He didn't, you know, burn the house down. He just, Mm -hmm. you know, gracefully exited the situation and he was telling me the story. And then he said, but in the end, I'm still the asshole. Like people think I'm still the asshole, you know, because why? Well, because the perception is, is that he walked away from something, you know, and no one understands like what went into that or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's the story that others could tell about the situation Mm -hmm. on the, from the outside. Yeah. And right. Even though right. he did the right thing. And I had the same situation with a work thing that you know about mm-hmm. that I started a job and then pretty quickly it became clear that it wasn't going to work out for a lot of reasons. And so I, I left, you know, somewhat abruptly, but I, you know, I talked to the right people. I, I, I think I did the right things, but it's still like, Absolutely. okay, that was the right decision for me, but mm-hmm. it, it feels a little crummy that I wasn't able to fit into that environment. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, yes, totally. So, you can tell a story in a rational way where everyone is held accountable in the appropriate ways, or you can tell a story where you're to blame. Exactly. Exactly. Those those examples are are perfect because I think one of the things. So, we should talk about what shame is, and I think um, no one talks about the fact, or not a lot, not no one, not a lot of people talk about the fact that shame has a purpose. Right. It's a pro social emotion that evolved. You know, if you think about like hunter gatherer kind of population, um, if you were kind of on the outside of your social group, if you did something to get ostracized, you were immediately in mortal danger because you can't survive without your group. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you felt shame before you were ostracized, you had a better likelihood of staying in your group and therefore staying alive. So, the both of the situations, both of the examples that you just used are like perfect examples of how it's not just about your own perception of you. It's about how you're perceiving other people perceiving you and, and experiencing that intense emotional response of like danger. Right. Right. I can't fit in in that way or I'm the asshole. Doesn't just mean like I've done something wrong that I have to like atone for, but I am in danger. Right. Interesting. And it's, yeah. Cause you know, people are always interested in like, what's, you know, what is the purpose of shame? If it's so destructive, which we're going to talk about a lot this season, it, it is really destructive, unchecked can, can really destroy your sense of self, your relationships, the way you behave, your healing path, all of these things, but it, it's there for a reason. And I think it's important to understand that because then we can figure out, okay, what are places where it's okay to feel shame? What's the right amount of shame? And then how do we let it go? You know? Right. Right. How do you let it, how do you walk along with it? You know, how do you accept it in a way? And it, and Mm -hmm. it's super interesting in how the, like the, the, the thing gets flipped. Like when you feel like you're doing Mm -hmm. the right thing, you still feel right. Right. Like you didn't fit into the group, you know, even though that wasn't a group you wanted to be part of. Well, but that's the thing, right? Like, it's not about like the right thing is like a is like a later evolutionary stage, right? Like, the morality question doesn't come into question until much later in society. 
But the question of like, as you just said, what it always comes down to is like, I didn't fit into the group. I couldn't fit into the group. Right. That's that like primitive, like, right. You know, like kind of really deeply embedded into our, and the, and the important thing too, is that like our body then is perceiving threat and responding in that way. Right. So we talked a lot last season about the stress response and the hormones that get released when you are experiencing either a traumatic event or a traumatic trigger, because that's going to, you know, create the same thing, right? Your body is always wanting to know, am I in danger or am I safe? And if it's in danger, it releases all these stress hormones and goes through these, you know, the set of processes that, um, that are designed to keep you alive, which is why the trauma response is a strength response but then unchecked, right? And out of control can also be the strength response that can ruin your life. Right. Right. And can you say that, or could we say that shame is, if it's unchecked, it will um, kind of have the ability to shut off your intuition or your ability to make good decisions? Yeah, because I think- fear of shame- you know, like override. Mm-hmm. Totally. Be- judgment. Yeah. Because I think in the same way, so we talked last season about how when you have a fear response in the amygdala, you get disconnected from your prefrontal cortex, which is what makes, you know, decisions and it, and uses working memory. So you can't concentrate, make decisions. And also your medial prefrontal cortex, that's the mohawk of self-awareness that we had a whole episode on, which is your ability mm-hmm. to know yourself as a self and project that self into the future and make rational decisions. And so if shame creates fear, which it does, then it can be, it's going to trick off that or trip off that same set of responses. And then you, so yes, you lose access to your ability to make decisions. You become um, hypervigilant. You know, I think in other words, kind of what we're talking around is this idea that shame and trauma are entangled. Right. Right. That's huge. It is huge. Totally. It is huge. And I think like there's this way in which, you know, so shame, the, if we go to, from like, we can go through four little phases of, of definition. The most simple definition is, you know, people often conflate shame with guilt. So what's the difference? Guilt is I did something wrong and here are the steps I need to do to atone for that or to fix it or whatever. Shame is I am wrong. Right. Right. So you just, you go away from this specificity of this singular thing that I did wrong to this global sense of like, I am bad. Right. Right. And then the kind of the second one is where you add in that layer of evolution, right? So shame has a purpose. If it's the thing that kept, you know, hunter gatherers from offending their people so much that they'd end up ostracized. And if you were ostracized, you'd physically be in danger. There's, by the way, the like the wedding of the fear response and shame, right? It exists to keep you alive in the same way that the trauma response exists to keep you alive, which means it's going to set off that same set of neurobiological and body processes. Yeah. And then there's two other ones. I think um, when something awful happens, I talk about this a lot in the book, which comes out in March. Yay pre-order it. It's called Yay. Unbroken. The trauma <laughs> response is never wrong. I'm super excited. Um, when something awful happens, I think one of the things we don't focus on enough is, is that it causes a rift in the meaning of the world. And then we have to figure out how to redraw our map of meaning. And so 
I can either, I have two options there, right? Something awful happens. It causes a rift in the meaning of the world. I can either admit that the world is unpredictable and terrifying, or I can swallow the whole thing and make it all my fault. If I'm the bad thing, then that means I can fix it. It means I'm in control. It's less, it sounds like, I mean, you're kind of picking between the lesser of two evils here, but it's easier, I think, to swallow that than to admit that the world is terrifying. Right. And so I think sometimes like shame, we kind of can use shame as a shield between us and the terror of the world. Yeah. Does that make sense? It feel, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it feels like more um, sinister in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, it, it feels like, it feels like something that you just have to find a way to walk with. You, you you have to find a way, you have to develop a relationship with it. You can't, yeah, you I can't think, expect to obliterate it. Right. 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 And I also think totally, I think it's a complicated thing where it's like this, it's, it's, I, I want to level up your walk with it and say that you are, our, our work is to figure out how to dance with it. Because there are moments when shame needs to be there. It needs to be present. It needs to be, it needs to lead. We need to feel that. Think about developmentally. If you never felt shame, right, throughout your whole development, you wouldn't learn those lessons of like what's okay to say, what's not okay to say, how to present yourself, how not to hurt people. Like these are, again, important pro-social things that we're learning through this intense emotion that is intense on purpose, Right. right? It's intense for a reason. So so you're right. We can't get rid of it. And we can't let it in the driver's seat and let it stay in the driver's seat, right? When we are feeling an unnecessary or like kind of inflated amount of shame, that will absolutely get in the way of healing, of our behavior, of our thriving, of everything, our ability to right. connect to other people, our ability to know ourselves. And so you have to figure out how to feel it in the right way at the right time and also how to let it go. And I think this, the, we do that in an overly simplistic way, right? So like, think of like a victim of sexual assault, right? Who, um, who talks about how it's my fault. I put myself in this situation on this day. I should have known better if I hadn't done X, Y, and Z, this wouldn't have happened. Right. But society puts the person in that. I mean, everything in in our world, in our experience does that. Totally. So it's not just the individual, it's, it's the world. Right. But again, like it's easier for the individual to make it their fault because it's, and I say easier, like it's not actually easy, but like it's, it it can be more tempting to do that than to admit that about society because you can't fix society. So if I had something that happened to me and I want it to never happen again, I just have to figure out what I did wrong and then I can prevent it from happening again, you know? Right. Right. But then thing is what we do in society is we take that person and we just counter the narrative and we say, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Right. Which is true. It's not your fault. And that's not dancing with the shame in a way that's going to actually help. Because sometimes when you just put up a direct counter to an emotion, the the shame especially is so strong that it's just going to be like, yeah, no, like you can tell me a hundred thousand times. It wasn't my fault. That's not going to do anything mm-hmm. because there's this emotional impulse to, to have that be the narrative. And again, that's not because you want it to be the narrative, but, but it's because that's your shield. It's what's standing between you and the realization, the acceptance that the world is terrifying. 
And I don't think we should get rid of our shields. And I don't think we should, I just, that's not how that works, right? You learn how to put them up when you need to. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, it makes total sense. But, and it's, so you have that internal battle going on and the, you know, the world might be saying, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. But the world is also doesn't want to admit that, that mm-hmm, there totally. is that kind of evil out there. Right. So they're thinking somewhere, right. what did that person do to deserve that? Totally. How did that person get in that situation? So mm-hmm. it, 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 it's messy. There's a lot. It's there. messy. Yep. It's messy. It, it, yeah. And I, and you're countering all those narratives and they, they're countering you back and it's just, yeah, it gets really complicated. Right. And then, and then in the, in the process, you're trying to heal. Um, right. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a mess. <laughs> this is, this is a lot. <laughs> this is a lot. There's yeah. two other things I want to say, two other quick examples. Cause I think, um, shame gets in the way in, in like what I see with my clients and things like that when people talk about trauma. Um, and I think this stuff will come up in the letters a lot. So our goal this season is to really try to start chipping away at shame. What does it mean? How do we, how does it come up? What are the sneaky ways that it comes up? Cause the, the examples that we're talking about now are kind of the first front of mind, obvious ones, but mm-hmm. w- how is it sneakier and what, and what can we do about it? What are some tools we can make up to learn how to dance with it instead of try to annihilate it or make it our whole identity? Um, and I think there's two ways for, for me, there's two ways that this comes up like again and again and again, when I'm working with clients. Um, and the first is that I think like what's actually wrong, the thing that you need to heal can be obscured by shame. So mm-hmm. you can't even see what the wound is because you have this shame shield in front of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an example, I know we talked about this last, last, I keep wanting to say semester, <laughs> last season <laughs> it's okay. um, that, uh, that I also wrote about in the book where I have, you know, when we have these definitions of trauma that are based on the event rather than the person who experienced the event, we, we do weird things. And I had this client who, um, you know, she'd showed up with all of the symptoms of PTSD. She actually had a PTSD diagnosis and nothing was helping um, because she was assuming that the PTSD was coming from her job because that was the only, she was a first responder and she was always in disaster sites. And that was the only like quote unquote acceptable trauma that she could have had that would have been causing these, um, these symptoms. And as we worked together, it came out that it wasn't that that was causing the the trauma. It was this breakup that was really catastrophic to her. Um, and, but she, because of her shame, because that didn't feel like enough of a thing to be traumatized mm. by. We weren't getting to the source of the trauma and she was about to leave her job, which was hugely beneficial to her. She loved, she didn't want to, but we couldn't figure out what was causing the symptoms. And so, wow. um, right. Yeah. So I think like when shame obscures our ability to accept what has harmed us, it, really literally stands in the way of healing. That's fascinating. So that's like, that's, it, it just gets all the wires crossed. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have this like societal understanding of like, okay, here are the three things that could potentially be traumatic. I don't have those things, or I have one that sort of fits into one of those. So it must be that, but if that's not what, what, what is actually causing the symptoms, you'll never heal it. And you may, right. in fact, like blow up your life 
to heal something and then find out that that wasn't the actual wound. Right. Right. And lose in the meantime. Right. Something that, you know, could be healing in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So she, just to give you a spoiler, she did not quit her job. We figured it out, sorted through the pain and the shame of the, um, first of all, the pain and the shame of being traumatized by this thing that doesn't count as trauma. Um, and then the pain and the shame of the breakup and then Mm -hmm. the symptoms and then, yeah. Can, um, Maybe you, maybe you should just say you'll have to buy the book to find out, but I'm curious and I read the book and I'm going to go back and read it again. Um, how did you get to the fact that it was the breakup? Um, so it's, uh, this is actually one of my favorite book chapters in the book. It's called, it's about, it's about referred pain, which is this idea that sometimes you have pain in one part of your body that's actually coming from another place. And the classic example of that is the toothache. That's actually a heart attack. Um, and so if you go to the dentist and you get your cavity filled, you, you're still gonna have a heart attack and that's obviously fatal. And so, or could be fatal. So, um, in the, in the story, in the book. So, so this is a composite. This is actually like a couple of different people that I'm kind of putting together as, as if it were one. Um, but we, um, I just kept noticing as we were talking through, so all of the trauma stuff was resonating with her, but not applying to her job. And so we kept doing these tools and giving her this understanding of how trauma works and all this stuff. And it wasn't working. And then, um, she kept like, mentioning in the course of our sessions, she would like kind of mention a breakup in passing, but then she'd be like, I can't talk about that's, you know, that's stupid. It's just a stupid breakup. Um, because it wasn't a marriage, so it didn't count. And it was, you know, this stuff. And, but I kept noticing like her affect, like her, her physical way of being totally shifted. So when, when she was talking about her job, she would light up and she was excited and she was doing really well and adapting even in these disaster sites, got a lot of like energy, loved what she was doing, felt like she was effective. But then when she would talk about the breakup, her she would just like collapse. Like her shoulders would slump forward and her face would fall and she would like start to cry. And um, I see this with people all the time. It's so important to pay attention to the way someone looks, how animated they are or aren't when they're talking because you can report that something was or was not traumatic, but your body will reveal the truth. Yeah. We don't always rationally know, you know? Right, right. Oh, I love that. That's fascinating. Yeah. So it was so, so then it was like, okay, let's dig in here and like, can we give this story some legitimacy? And it was a really shocking breakup, like, that was absolutely traumatic. <laughs> and yeah, even if it wasn't shocking, it's still like, I mean, it's, it was right, painful. Totally. And that was, that it was, was the source. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, is that we're you- so like, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. We're so, I think, out of fear, we are so mm. quick to categorize things. Like, yeah. oh no, that's not important enough. This is important enough. Give me your story. No, that doesn't measure up. But you know, it, yeah, it's just like totally. We just all want to file things away so quickly out mm-hmm. of fear. I think that. Um, mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. That's great. You were able to help yeah. her. Help, help. Yeah, them. it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it happens like a, that, that happens a lot where, you know, because of the way that we've, this is why one of the reasons why I wrote the book is because we have the wrong definition. And that's super important because of situations like this, you know, and in the right. medical field, like in, in physical, biological medicine, if we got it wrong, that would have, you know, an immediate, like, 
that would be a problem that everyone would recognize immediately. And then in the, in the field of psychology, we're like, well, well you know, whatever. <laughs> and right. I think that's wrong. Right. We need to draw that parallel be- and take it seriously. Yeah. If you went to the emergency room with appendicitis and they give you Pepto and sent you home and your appendix burst, you'd sue the hospital for a billion dollars and everyone would be mm-hmm. horrified. But we mm-hmm. misdiagnose people for 25 years and then it's just like, oh, well, sorry. Right. But because you of know? shame, people also don't report. A hundred percent. Yes. You know, they, yeah. it, sometimes yeah. it's, I, I can imagine yeah. in your situation or anyone who is in the field, it can be very difficult to get to. Mm-hmm. Totally. The, the kernel that, you know, they, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and we do that to protect ourselves. You know, you're not yeah. ready to talk about something. You're not ready to consider something, reveal something until you're ready. Right. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's important. It's important. We live in a very like blast the fuck through it culture and that's not the way to heal. Right. So blasting right. to the, to the kernel sometimes isn't the way. Right. You know? Right. We also, it's also very black and white and, Right. You know, you everyone wants to put people in buckets. Right. That's- right. And I think the other thing is that like with the, the we're obsessed with speed, right? Like yeah. I want to heal in five sessions or less and I want to do, you know, and it's like, that's actually, I think the other way that shame gets in the way is in the actual healing process. Like, so once you get to the point where you're like, okay, here's the thing, here's the kernel, here's what we're going to do about it. Um, it takes a really long time for clients to like accept the fact that their symptoms are legitimate and not a sign of weakness, right? This has been so deeply embedded in our understanding of ourselves and in our bad understanding of the way that trauma works that sometimes it takes like years to get to this place where you're, you're like these responses that I'm having are completely legitimate, natural responses like getting that rationally and then actually feeling it, you know, can take a long time. The, the, the trauma response is a strength response. Like neurobiologically, it is a thing that keeps us alive. It's not a sign of weakness. So sometimes like someone will accept the fact that the thing that's causing the trauma is causing the trauma, but then they'll put this frame on it that if they don't figure it out in 12 sessions, this means they're broken. So then they trade one kind of shame right away for another. Exactly. Exactly. And none of this stuff, you can't surgically remove any of this stuff. It can't be cut off, cut out, removed, you know, it's not that neat and tidy. Right. It's right. Right. It's layered. It's, it's all part of who you are and shapes, you know, the, the, how you look at the world. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the thought of, you know, exercising any of this is, is foolish. I, think. Well, yeah. And we can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of, oh, it's, I was like, what is the name of that movie? The Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, the um, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. You can't just like control mm-hmm. all delete, you know, select all delete. Right. You can't, it's, and, and, and I think our obsession is, or our fear, maybe, maybe the bigger fear beneath the fear is that we're, we're just afraid of pain and and of yeah. feeling it and sitting with it and and we're afraid that it's going to annihilate us which again totally makes sense and yeah if we got rid of the pain like you can't selectively delete feelings or emotions or experiences so if you get rid of the pain what else are you getting rid of think right. about how much we learn from things that really challenge us right that bring us to the edge you know right right that that's also when we expand right 
And that's tricky territory because I don't want to like just put silver lining on a pile of shit and be like, oh, look, right. (laughs) But it's true. It is true. It really is true. And I think, I don't know. I mean, we're just starting this and now I'm Mm -hmm. fascinated because I think there's a lot, there's a ton (laughs) here and I can't wait to see what happens next. But um, (laughs) yeah, you know, it's, I think just the awareness of it, you know, like Mm -hmm. in, in my, with the job thing that I was talking about, like I, like I was driving and I'm like, why do I feel this way about this? It's like, Mm -hmm. like, why is this, this is so fascinating. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I just, I find it like, there's a curiosity. I, I, I'm in a position to have curiosity about it, I yeah. guess. Well, and I think curiosity is such a powerful space because then you're like, okay, what I used to hate, like when my therapist would say this to me, but I think it's such a powerful question. Like, what is this feeling doing? Right? Like, what is the shame accomplishing? Because right. it's there for as much as you might hate it and want to get rid of it, as you said, and like excise it, take it out and all this stuff. It has a purpose. So like, right. what is it doing for you? And then if you can enter into the the space of curiosity, it becomes a lot less negatively charged because curiosity mm-hmm. is inquiry and there's no judgment there, right? It's, it's, what is this thing? Super fascinating thing too about the word shame, because I'm always obsessed with etymology just because it's just fascinating. But like one of the roots, the, 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 the origin of the word shame is a little bit, um, unknown, but they, their best guess is that one of the roots comes from this, this, this skem, which means to cover. And you think of like Adam and Eve, right? This realization that you're exposed. And so you cover, but I also think like shame covers something Mm. else. Yeah. Like this idea that it's a shield. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, if I'm, if I'm, taken up with all this shame about this job situation. Like what else is under that? Right. What is it covering? What is it doing for me? Is there a realization? Is there a fear under there? Is there a disappointment? Is there something I don't want to admit to myself about the world? Like, what is it? You know? Right. Right. I have goosebumps. It's fascinating. So, okay. So just to give you a little preview, we've gotten letters about shame about cheating even when you don't get caught, shame about uh, snooping on phones, shame about things your parents did to you when you were little that you still carry as a full adult, even though you've processed and done a ton of therapy, Um, shame about STDs, shame about sexual pasts, shame about broken relationships. We've gotten a lot of letters already. We'd love more. So um, email us at thetraumatapes at gmail.com. Make sure to include the 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 trauma tapes at gmail.com. Um, or you can also send in, sometimes we get messages in Instagram. So we're on Instagram at the trauma tapes. Um, so you can DM us and we will see them there. And yeah, I'm excited for this season. Me too. Yay. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm so, I'm so pumped. Okay. So, um, do you want to end with a tiny little joy? Should we explain this again for new, for potential new listeners? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So really quickly, um, we started Tiny Little Joys. I kind of made this up in the in the in the height of the pa- pandemic when everything was closed and my mind was racing like a little bird. Um, <laughs> and uh, the idea of Tiny Little Joy is that when you orient yourself towards the things in the world that are joyful, even when maybe especially when they are really really tiny, um, you 
start to see that whatever bad is happening is not the whole story. Um, and that actually accomplishes a lot. There's also a neurobiological parallel where when you're noticing these things, you are automatically in something that has been termed the hope circuit. And when the hope circuit is on, the fear circuit can't be on. So if you have a practice of noticing tiny little joys every single day, you will start to notice a little bit less fear, a little bit less hypervigilance. Um, and it, it starts to really, I find I, it's, I'd be interested to hear like what you think when I am doing it, the world is different. Yeah. I start noticing these little things. I start appreciating them and, and awful stuff can be happening in the background. Right. That doesn't change, right? <laughs> it doesn't delete right. or excise the bad right. stuff, but it's just right. like, oh yeah, there's also these, this stuff. Right. Yeah. I think of it as like a, like a treasure hunt in a way. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Like, oh, I'm going to, now I'm going to look for these things and I'm yeah. going to like, I, I'm, I, I'm open to them. And it's, I feel like you're on like a little bit of a different wavelength, which I think is yep. the same thing you're saying where you're like open to the, to the signals and, and the, yeah. the tiny little joys that can like occur anywhere. And I you love know, that. there's a lot of like, there's a lot of payback. You get, you get a lot. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. a little thing, but it's, there's a ripple mm -hmm. effect. Yeah. And, my life, you know, and yeah. I, yeah, I think that's what I missed the most, you know, yeah, like, yeah. oh, I'm not looking for those things, even, you know, yeah. which is so like, why do you, why do things have to be like homework based? Like, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, oh, well, I'm not because... going to do it anymore because I don't have to report it every week. <laughs> but that's the thing, like there, there's, because it like, don't have shame about that. Just accept, like I do better. I'm more likely to do something when I have like an accountability partner to do it. Okay, cool. That's, that's right. We don't have to change it. It just is, you know? Okay. You're a good point. Good point. <laughs> because I was doing the same thing. You said it first, but I was, I was doing and thinking the same thing. Why can't I do this? And I write about this. I talk to people about this all day, blah, blah, blah. Why can't I do it? Well, okay. You, it's right. just easier when you have someone to do it with. So there you go. Exactly. Exactly. doesn't have to be that big and heavy. You're right. You're right. So at the end of every episode, we did a tiny little joy and we're going to continue with that. Do you want to go first? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a couple, but like, <laughs> I'm just going to go with the stupid one. Cause it makes me laugh. The, the TikTok thing that you've been talking about, like, you know, when you start, I know, don't even, I can't even look at you because I'm gonna start laughing, but um, <laughs> like when you click on things, you know, and I'm not great with social media, like bad things, you get fed more bad things, you know? Yes. But when yes. I feel like I'm assuming the TikTok algorithm is the same, you know, yes. but it feels like the good things. So the one I saw, which I didn't send you this one yet, but oh no, <laughs> there's, there's like a little French bulldog, like on, um, uh, like a dog bed and <laughs> they set up a microphone like behind his fanny <laughs> and then the dog farted. But it was super loud, <laughs> and the dog like jumped, like what the hell just happened? And I was like crying, laughing. Brent went to take Sadie out in the backyard. I watched it. By the time he came in, I was hysterical. He's like, "What is happening? Are you okay?" I couldn't control myself. It was the funniest thing in the whole world, and just like laughing like that is such a there's so much to that and there's such a, like a, an immediate benefit you know oh my god yeah there is i'll send it to you it's hysterical do send it to me i'm, gonna laugh. I'm like <laughs> I cry there are like tears in my eyes laughing and i haven't even seen it yet 
I was watching last night this like first of all like TikTok like on the regular restores my faith in humanity like the yeah. amount of humor and the silly creative things that people are doing in, amidst this time of unprecedented awfulness is like stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this one last night where like this 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 and this again shows like the way the algorithm works. Like I love like baby goats and bunnies and stuff like that. So that's like typically what I get. And this this woman has this baby goat in her house like as a pet. And she's like making dinner and the goat, she pans the camera down and the goat is just like ramming into her leg (laughs) and then looking up and it's because she's making dinner, but it hasn't fed the goat yet. And the goat's like, I want dinner, bonk. I want dinner, bonk. (laughs) I'll send it to you. It's funny. It's just very hilarious. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Um, Okay. The best. They are the best because they're just, yeah, they're little, they're so hilarious. Um. Okay, my little tiny little joy is this little felt bowl that Lisa was just here this last oh! weekend and we went shopping and we bought we found these felt bowls at this great little shop in town called the Potting Shed and it's on my coffee table and it's this like rainbow little felt bowl and it's so soft and adorable and it has a little felt heart inside and I just love it and I look at it a hundred times a day and I'm always like, Oh, fun. Yay. Yay. Yeah. That is a fabulous store. The customer service in that place is unbelievable. <laughs> we love them. They're fabulous. Yep. Yep. Okay. So um, rate, review, subscribe. It helps a lot. And we will see you next week. Yay. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. Bye. Bye.